baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley and Nick Green. Hello again and welcome to From the Diamond. I am Grant McCauley. He is Nick Green. And we, as a collective, all have baseball back in our lives as Thursday was opening day across all of Major League Baseball. None of this series across the sea things. I and mean, it's fun to go play in Japan and whatnot. But when you get all 30 teams in action, that's a whole different ball game, any and all pun intended. And baseball was back in a big way on Thursday. Nick, I know we talked about this all winter long. We've been waiting on it. And now it's here. And now the grind begins. We got one of the 162 in the books. Yes, we do. And uh, it didn't go the Braves way, but you know what? That's why you play 162. And I was just excited to see everybody get on the field. And we still get to look forward to another opening day at home too. So that's fun as well. That's on Monday. Uh, So I'm just excited for the season to start. I'm glad everything is here and we're finally working and we're looking uh, towards the Braves continue to improve and continue to to fight for that title at L East. Yeah, and they're going to have to do that each and every day. And obviously, it's a disappointing way to go on opening day when you get blown out by the Phillies. Braves opened on the road. They've got three games against Philadelphia. A big story coming into that was keep Bryce Harper in check and you'll probably be fine. Well, that was not the answer to the equation for the Braves as they lost Thursday by a 10-4 score. We're going to talk all about that. I think that probably the most interesting quote that I heard after that game was Freddie Freeman said, the only thing today means is we're not going to go 162-0. and And I think Freddie's on to something there, but... Yeah, the Braves do have a few things to figure out and a few things that they can take from opening day as they move forward and obviously look to get back on track as soon as possible. Still a chance to win that series, and they'll be looking for a couple of young guns to step up in a big way, and we'll talk about those gentlemen in just a moment. First, though, I want to let you know you can always subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews, always appreciated. We've gotten a lot of those over the winter and would love a lot of those over the course of the season. So if you like what you hear, subscribe and rate the show and be sure to follow us on social media, Twitter in particular, at from the diamond underscore. That's where you can find the show. I am at Grant McCauley and Nick is at Nick Green 20 from the diamond.com. You can find each and every episode as well as articles about the Braves and baseball all season long. So be sure to check that out as well. So as I mentioned, and as we do each and every show, we'll start with our Atlanta Braves news. And we finally have a real live baseball game that counts in the standings to talk about, but not necessarily a memorable day for the Atlanta Braves as they were disappointed in a 10-4 loss to the Philadelphia Phillies up at Citizens Bank Park in a game that really got out of hand late once the Braves bullpen got involved. Nick, I'll start with the lineup and then we'll get to the pitching because I'm sure we're going to spend a lot more time there. Braves line up pretty much what we thought from watching spring training and seeing the changes that were made. Ronald Acuna, not at the top of the order. He had himself a pretty good day. He's going to be batting cleanup this year, though, so that means Ender Inciarte is at the top of the order. And I'll just go ahead and ask you, an 0 for 4, over the course of 162 games, you don't think a whole lot about it, but how much pressure is on Ender Inciarte to perform in the top spot of the order to set the table for the Braves lineup? I think there's a lot of pressure, and just watching him yesterday, it felt like he 
was trying to be that prototypical leadoff hitter instead of being aggressive. I mean, he, he took a couple pitches right down the middle that I'm saying if, if you have a chance to put the bear on the ball, mm-hmm. I want you to swing. Ender has a lot of power. He can do a lot of things. He get the ball the other way, he can pull balls, but he has to be aggressive with pitches in the zone. And the first at bat of the game for him, he takes strike one right down the middle. He swings at a ball and then he takes strike three right down the middle. Yeah. I want to see Ender not worry so much about being patient and working the count and this and that. I think those days to a degree are over with. And I want to see Ender be Ender and be able to really be aggressive and let, let his natural ability take over. If he's putting pressure on himself to be the leadoff hitter, work the count, get on base, all that stuff, that might put him behind the eight ball, in my opinion, because he had success down at the bottom of the lineup last year in the second half. He's moving back to the top again for the first time in quite some time. And you don't have to change who you are. Maybe who he is is what he was at the six, seven spot in the order. And that's okay at the top too. And so I, I think there's a lot of pressure on Ender for sure. Um, I hope that he's able to relax and kind of get himself back on track and just realize all they want you to do is be yourself. And we'll see how it plays out. Because I think he could be the leadoff hitter we saw two years ago. I think he could be that guy. And, and I'm hoping that he turns back into that guy. But there is a lot of pressure for sure. Yeah, he's done a lot at the top of the order in the past. And last year in the second half, he was able to figure some things out. And that, I think, from Kevin Seitzer during the spring, from all that you read and saw uh, posted about Ender Inciarte and where he was in the spring, they felt like he was in a good place, that he was building off of that second half or could build off of that second half. And I'm not about to sit here and tell you that an 0 for 4 is a sign of things to come because I'm pretty sure Ender Inciarte is not going to go 0 for 4 each and every day. I think the concern, though, if there is, and there may be a couple here actually, is that if Ender gets off to a slow start, that obviously not ideal for the Braves. They may have to you know, revisit what they want to do at the top of the order involving Ron Lacuna. If you do that, then that changes things in the middle of the order. And I don't expect this lineup to be static all year long. I mean, unless they really get on a roll and get going, and there are other wild cards in this scenario. It's not like either Inciarte or Acuna has to be the leadoff guy. I mean, you do have guys, if Ozzy Albies kind of figures his things out, he's certainly one that could hit at or near the top of the order. I think Josh Donaldson's going to hit second pretty much each and every day that he's in the lineup. I don't see that changing, nor Freddie Freeman moving out of that third spot. But other than that, I mean, there are some things that could change if need be. But again, not pulling the panic button after one game of 162-game schedule. Just want to underscore the importance of this as we get going. And as you look historically, Enciarte has started a little bit slow at times. And I think it'd be in his best interest and the Braves' best interest if he's able to get off to a hot start and help set the tone and set the table for a Braves lineup that I think is going to be pretty good this year and going to be able to score some runs. The big problem is when you looked at the pitching staff, you had some questions about how they were going to be able to limit the opposition from scoring runs, and that was a huge problem when you looked at what the Phillies were able to do to them, especially in the middle to late innings after Julio Tehran was out of the game. Things really got out of hand for the Braves' bullpen, and that's not a great thing. We'll get to that in a moment, though, but I want to get your impression, Nick. Julio Tehran, I thought, looked much better than the 2018 version who was kind of erratic, Uh, effectively wild at times might be something you'd call Julio. But five innings pitched, three runs. He did get charged with four hits, a couple of walks, seven strikeouts, including keeping Bryce Harper at bay. He did allow a leadoff home run. Then he really settled down, ran into some fourth inning trouble. But my takeaway, better velocity. 
I think more confidence and a very good slider. What did you see out of Julio Tehran yesterday? I liked what I saw. And we're not talking about Julio Tehran being Jacob deGrom or Max Scherzer. No. And that's completely fine. Julio Tehran, in my opinion, took a huge step forward this spring, and he's taken a huge step forward beginning with the first game of the season. I like him going from the stretch, uh, and I think that's going to allow his release point to be more consistent. I think we saw that yesterday. Glove side, fastball command is important for him. I think that's going to help out that side of the plate as well. I I love the fact that he's pounding with four seamers. It looks like the ball is coming out a lot more crisp and and just a lot more life on the ball. The slider is his best pitch. He threw it 40-something percent of the time yesterday, and that's the highest percentage slider usage he's ever had in a game. If his slider is the way it was yesterday, he can throw it that much. Last year, it was like, okay, we want him to throw the slider a lot because we know if it's on, it can be successful. Well, he didn't have his release point down on a consistent basis last year, so that makes that slider back up and it float down the middle of the plate. Yep. Yesterday, it was more of the one releasing it out front, getting a little bit of snap. Sometimes it was almost like a cutter. Sometimes it had a little more break, and that's okay because he was out front. And I didn't see him make any mistakes backing that slider up. He had nine swings and misses on his slider. He also was able to throw his changeup more. And what I liked about that was the fact he wasn't afraid to throw it to right-handed hitters. He had trouble with lefties last year, but that confidence in that changeup can neutralize the lefty a little bit too. He's got something to go away with other than the two-seam fastball. And when he increases velocity, he had a couple 92 two-seam fastballs that were really nasty. If he has 92 two-seam fastball and then he takes 10 miles an hour off the changeup, now we're working with something. If he's 88 with a two-seamer and then he's 83 with a changeup, then it's almost like a BP fastball. So velocity is going to help him with his changeup. He's got confidence in the changeup. The working from the stretch simplifies his motion. It allows him to be more consistent. And I love what I saw from Tehran. I think he's definitely going to continue to take it a step forward. The, the numbers don't look good, the five innings, the three earned. So the ERA is at 5-4. But I was encouraged, and I think everybody was. I Just listening to what guys had to say after the game, they felt like Julio Tehran was, was in a good place. Yeah, I would agree with that. And when you look at that fourth inning as well, he really, I mean, did not get hit extremely hard. I mean, when McCutcheon opens the game with a home run, I think there's a propensity for a lot but, of people to go, oh, it, there we go. But Yeah, you know something with that, with that home run too is, he threw strike one, so you're sitting there going, okay, he got behind 2-0. The first pitch of the game from Tehran was a strike, and they called it a ball. Right. That changes the whole complexion of that at-bat, and I don't think McCutcheon goes deep if he gets that call. And then you had the, you had the bouncer back up the middle from Herrera, and mm-hmm. then you had the change-up off the plate, probably a foot off the plate. Yeah, that, slapped up the uh, third Hernandez base line. down the left field line, so yeah. – yeah, I mean, the numbers don't tell the whole story. No, it certainly doesn't. And that's one of those things that I need to see at least a handful of starts before I really start even thinking about the ERA. I mean, let's ask Chris Sale up in Boston. I don't think he's going to give up seven <laughs> runs every time he goes out there. His ERA is going to come down from 21. It just doesn't look great when it's your first few outings. It takes a long time to get that normalized or whatnot. But from the overall things that I think you and I both saw, there are reasons to be encouraged about the way that Julio Tehran pitched on opening day for the Braves. The better velocity is a big thing, just in case you're wondering. Pitch info in terms of the average fastball velocity for Julio Tehran, 91.3, which is up 
significantly from his average fastball velocity in 2018, which there were starts where it seemed like he was sitting around 87, 88, and that was about as good as it was going to get. So I think that the work he did in the offseason, adding some muscle, also making that move to the stretch just mechanically, confidence-wise, you know, physicality, whatever you want to chalk it up to, a combination of all of those things has made Julio Tehran, has put him at least in a position where he could succeed and really take some steps forward. And I think you have to be more encouraged than not about how he pitched on opening day. And while he looked better, the bullpen, Nick, had a flashback to 2018, at least some of those rough nights that we saw a year ago. Seven runs scored after Tehran left the game. A three-run homer, uh, Michael Franco off of Shane Carl. A couple of walks came before that. A grand slam off of Luke Jackson, courtesy of Reese Hoskins. Those are not the kind of things that you're looking for out of your middle relievers in what could have been a close game. Matt Joyce had a home run for the Braves that got them you know, back into things, at least within striking distance, before the grand slam. So a really rough day for a couple of Braves relievers. And I think that this kind of begs the question as Atlanta did not make any additions to this group over the winter from the major league level. I can certainly understand why they wanted to take that wait-and-see approach when it came to the rotation because you've got all of those great young arms and those great prospects that could be rotational candidates. But opening day was far from ideal when you think about the problems that this bullpen had a year ago. In fact, it was eerily reminiscent of some of the rough nights the Braves had to suffer through in 2018. Well, you wish they would have at least added some veteran piece in there somewhere. But when you look at Alex Anthopoulos and what his thought process was, Darren O'Day was expected to be healthy. A.J. Minder was expected to be healthy. Dan Winkler was expected to be on the roster. So there's three guys right there that should have been there. So that takes three guys off the roster. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly who all would be off. I, Luke Jackson probably would be one. Shane Carl would have been a toss-up and then somebody else. If all those guys were healthy and were performing like they were expected to do. I think that's kind of where Alex was, was – his thought process was – and now that that didn't happen as planned, now if you're sitting there going, okay, well, they need some bullpen help. But guys, and I, I saw this online, everybody wants Craig Kimbrell, right? Right. So Craig Kimbrell wouldn't have made a difference in that game. You're looking at not just the back end of the bullpen, Viscaino, Mentor, and what if you had Craig Kimbrell. Those are not the guys. Those are important guys, but also there are more important guys throughout that eight-man bullpen also. And that's where you have to have that aggressiveness as far as throwing strikes, making sure you aren't walking guys. Everybody's got to be on that same page. Everybody has to contribute. It's going to come down to those middle relievers a lot of the time. If you can't bridge that gap to the back end pieces, it doesn't matter who you have in the back. And I think that's what we saw yesterday. The game was so close. Then Carl came in and, and walked two guys and gave up the homer to yeah. Franco. He wanted a fastball away, and it ran up and in, and Franco didn't miss it, uh, a homer to left, and all of a sudden now you have a big lead, 6-1. Then the Braves come back, bring it within three, and then you look at the outing by Luke Jackson where he ends up walking a few guys. That's sixth and seventh innings, so those are middle reliever innings. Um, and like I said, nobody else would have been in there. Back-end guys wouldn't have been in there. McCutcheon walked, and then – Segura had that soft ground ball to, to Luke Jackson that he threw it away, yep. which I th- it was a hit in an air anyway. And then they had to intentionally walk Harper. And then Hoskins goes deep out on 1-0 count. Yeah. So it put Luke Jackson against the eight ball, a couple things, the walks and then the throwing air. If he doesn't make that throwing air, does he intentionally walk Harper or does Harper go deep? We don't know. 
Right. But it doesn't put him in that, that opportunity to hit a grand slam for Reese Hoskins. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's only game one, and I think they're going to clean this stuff up. The one thing that they do have to clean up is the walks, and that yep. was an issue last year. But they had walked six guys yesterday, two intentional. They had six walks, five of those scored. Yep. So that just tells you right there where your focus needs to be. I'd rather you get hit and hit hard than walk guys and then give up a homer. So, And I think the, the Braves coaching staff would, would agree with that. I think just about anybody watching, whether it's on the Braves coaching staff, on that 25-man roster, or somewhere in the stands, or in their living room watching, or at a sports bar, anybody with any affiliation with the Braves would much rather see, just go after it. If you get beat, you get beat. I mean, that's, I think, as old as time when it comes to sports. I mean, do the absolute best that you can, and if somebody else's best just happens to be better, I think you can live with that. But these walks and the self-inflicted wounds, as I guess you could call them, those are things that you look back on, and you do end up with a number of what ifs and they are scenarios like you just laid out there. I mean, what if you don't walk this guy? What if you don't make this error? How does that game play out? We'll never know, but those things compounded and a mistake with a walk then is followed by a mistake fielding wise. And I think that Luke Jackson was completely off kilter at that point. You don't want to let Bryce Harper beat you. I don't think you want to get that righty righty matchup, but that didn't work out at all. And all of a sudden four quick runs were up on the board for the Philadelphia Phillies. And that game was pretty much out of reach at that point, barring a miraculous comeback, which the Braves obviously did not have up their sleeve on opening day. doesn't mean there won't be those games where you get into that shootout and you go back and forth, but I want to circle back. You know, a lot of folks have brought up Craig Kimbrell. We've talked a lot about him on this podcast. No, Craig Kimbrell would not have been pitching in the sixth or seventh inning. If A.J. Minter, Darren O'Day, if those guys are healthy, if Dan Winkler was on the roster ready to go at the start of the season – and assuming, just saying, for the sake of this exercise, that you did have a Craig Kimbrell at the back end of the bullpen, <laughs> and you've got those four guys. You're right. It would completely change the complexion of the composition of that bullpen. However, what I will say is the one thing that having more talent does is that it pushes some of the other talent into other positions. So I guess it's one of those mm-hmm. things where you'd rather have more collective talent than you're not necessarily looking at it saying, well, uh, why is this guy pitching in a close game? Yeah, those are middle reliever innings, but the quality of your middle relievers, I guess, is kind of the point of going out and acquiring more guys. It would just change the depth chart of that bullpen. So it may not have been Craig Kimbrell in there pitching that exact inning, but it might have been somebody different just based on the fact that the roles changed and that they would be in a different place. And obviously there could be changes to that roster. Again, we're just sitting here talking about a whole bunch of what-ifs that obviously did not play out over the winter. I just thought it was curious, and I'm not saying that you had to sign Craig Kimbrell. That was the only answer. But it's just curious that the Braves did go through the entirety of their winter and not really address what was, I think, probably their biggest need. I know a lot of people wanted a front of the rotation starter, and I'm sure, and that would be great. But I just really felt like the depth and the quality of the bullpen, big name or not, was something to look at and might be something Alex Anthopoulos is looking at and will continue to look at moving forward, regardless of whether or not it happened over the winter. The Braves are going to have to keep assessing this bullpen to figure out ways to keep these games close because you're not going to be able to win too many games if things go the way they did on Thursday on opening day. Overall, as Nick mentioned, the walks definitely hurt. Six walks by Braves pitchers, five of those scoring. That's another thing that you look at, and really it's an old hat kind of thing for this Braves team when you go back to last year. It's something they've certainly got to cut down on. Just be aggressive and throw strikes, and like Nick said, if they beat you, they beat you. If they don't, then obviously you got a chance to pitch your way out of trouble perhaps rather than making it just – a bigger and worse situation, and we saw what can happen 
on the occasions that those walks become involved with what's happening in a tight game that no longer is a tight game by the time things are said and done. Uh, be that as it may, I want to discuss the opening day roster with you a little bit. I mean, we got into the game and some of the guys that are on this roster, but uh, not a whole lot of surprises, I didn't think. A couple of things that stood out to me, though, when I did look at this opening day roster, we knew Bryce Wilson and Kyle Wright were going to start in rotation. I think they certainly deserved that opportunity. And then you look at Wes Parsons, who had an outstanding spring and earned himself an opportunity to pitch for the Braves in their bullpen to start the year. Uh, otherwise, I think if you're just looking at things that stood out on that opening day roster, I think that the fact that the Braves have four pitchers, two key relievers, as Nick mentioned, with A.J. Minter and Darren O'Day, and two members of the starting rotation in Mike fulton and Kevin Gosman are all down. So, Nick, that kind of changes the Braves' pitching plans right out of the gate. It does, but I, I'm excited to see these guys pitch. And to see Bryce Wilson go in game two and Kyle Wright in game three, that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, nobody expected that to happen. We were, we were expecting one guy to have – one of those young guys to have one spot on that opening day rotation. And now you've got two or three. <laughs> yep. It just depends on what, what they end up doing with Gosman. But, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to see them. It's not what we expected, but I think they're going to be up to the challenge. Everybody's excited about Bryce Wilson. Everybody's excited about Kyle Wright. I'm, like, super high on Kyle Wright. Max Fried came in yesterday and looked great. I don't know. They're just a, they're just a group of very talented arms. And uh, to see them step up and, and have this opportunity is, is going to be fun. Are they going to have ups and downs? Probably, um, as everybody does. But they're going to be in situations where the Braves need them to perform. And that's, that's what this game's all about. This, I talked about this, I think, last week. This isn't the 2005 Tampa Bay Devil Rays where it's you're bringing these guys up to develop them. Yeah. This is where you're up here, you've got to perform. And I think these guys are going to be up to the challenge. So we'll see how it works out. And um, I'm excited to see those two young guys go in games two and three. Yeah, that's a big opportunity for both of those guys. I mean, first career start for Kyle Wright will come on Sunday night baseball. So the lights will be on at Citizens Bank Park. And, you know, he'll get that first opportunity to make a start. He did make four relief appearances last year. Of course, Bryce Wilson got himself a start late in the season a year ago as well. He's going to get a big opportunity, and both of those guys, as they go out and face this Philadelphia lineup that we just saw what they can do, I think that they're well aware that this is going to be the biggest challenge thus far, and it, it, for as long as they can get it, they'll take it, I think, every fifth day, the way these guys competed in spring training. They will, and anytime you can be on a big league roster, you're excited. These guys are starters, so they were both in the bullpen last year, right, and Wilson, mm -hmm. they want to start. That's what they do. And what they were able to accomplish in spring training, I think with the confidence and the success is going to carry over. These guys are so much more mature. And I've talked about this numerous times. They're young, but they're way more mature than 22, 23 year olds were when I was playing. It's just not the same. So I can't compare them to back when I was playing because you didn't see, you would never see two guys that young in a rotation to start the year, especially on a team that was going to compete. Uh, but that just shows the maturity level of all the kids. Now, if the Braves didn't feel like they were going to be confident in these guys and were confident bringing them up, they would have had to go get somebody. And they didn't because they feel like uh, the Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright, Max Freeds um, are capable of, of succeeding at the big league level. There's just so much depth here uh, that it's incredible I'm, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just like really excited about this and to see them perform 
at the highest level. I, I like I said, I know there are going to be some bumps in the road, and we're going to get frustrated at times, but the upside is is through the roof. It absolutely is, and the biggest thing I think that you you know the reason to be excited, I guess, is the fact that we've been hearing a lot about these guys at different times over the past four or five years as the Braves went through this rebuilding process. And, you know, for a while it was, well, they traded for this guy. He's a couple of years away. They drafted this guy. We'll see him in three or four years. And all of a sudden, that window of time has now elapsed, and these guys have a chance to be major league contributors, which is exactly what they want. They want to live the dream there. Uh, Looking at the Braves' overall uh, pitching roster to open the season, Jesse Biddle, Shane Carl, Max Freed, Luke Jackson, Sean Newcomb, Wes Parsons, Chad Sabatka, Julio Tehran, Josh Tomlin, Johnny Venters, Arodis Vizcaino, Bryce Wilson, and Kyle Wright makes 13 pitchers that the Braves are carrying. They've got two catchers, Tyler Flowers, Brian McCann. Infielders, obviously, Ozzy Albee, Johan Camargo, Charlie Culberson, Josh Donaldson, Freddie Freeman, and Dansby Swanson. And then in the outfield is Ronald Acuna Jr., Ender Inciarte, Nick Marcakis, and then Matt Joyce. Tomlin and Joyce, of course, late additions to this Braves team in spring training. Matt Joyce certainly made his presence known, and I think this is kind of what the Braves had in mind, was having a guy that could come off the bench with some power. Joyce has hit 20-plus home runs in the big leagues before. I thought this was kind of an under-the-radar move that could really help out from a depth perspective of just having a guy that can come off the bench and get that big hit for you, and I think the Braves needed a guy like that. They do, and I will warn fans is pinch hitting is very difficult. Yes. So you can't expect him to do that every single time. That was a great moment. I was excited. I jumped out of my seat whenever he hit that home run. He's only been a Brave, what, four days? Yeah. He'd been with three different teams within like the last two weeks or a week and a half or something. He's jet lagged in spring training, everything. Finally gets a little bit of rest uh, to see him get uh, an opportunity to pinch it and hit his home run and brings them closer in that game was pretty cool. Matt Joyce is a guy I think that can handle that pinch hitting situation. He's 34 years old. He's had success as uh, pretty much, in, I guess, a platoon guy, pretty much everyday guy. Last year was a down year. And when I go back and look at a Matt Joyce versus a an Adam Duvall, so Matt Joyce is a little bit older. Matt Joyce had success playing a lot, but Matt Joyce understands where he's at right now. Uh, Adam Duvall, his confidence went down the drain last year and then he then they put him in a in a backup role a pitch hitting role joyce actually got two over 200 at bats last year so i think he's got a better feel and a better probably mentality um to be in that pinch hitting role than adam duvall right now if adam duvall had confidence and he had success immediately out of the gate in that role then he would be fine but it's going to take a while for adam duvall to build that confidence back up and get back on track so I think this move had to be made. Uh, you wanted a left-handed pinch hitter off the bench anyway, and he provides power. 25 home runs a couple years ago. You know what he can do as far as adding a little bit of sock off the bench. He's not going to hit 300, and that's okay. You just wanted to put up a good at-bat. And uh, I, I like the move. I'm excited uh, to see him continue to, to uh, have opportunities in that role. And to see him get that pitch opportunity yesterday, get that monkey off his back, I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, good way to open the season for sure. Josh Tomlin, the other guy that came over late in spring, he's been a starter his entire career. He lost his spot in rotation, though, with the Indians a year ago. Spent nine years in Cleveland, spent much of his spring, though, with Milwaukee. Brought over, I think, more as a you know, a, a flyer or a depth piece that the Braves are looking at. Because, again, a handful of guys that are on the disabled list, in particular in the bullpen, 
A.J. Minter, who could be coming back sometime within the next, what, week or 10 days, maybe a couple of weeks if the Braves are able to get him back sooner than later. That's the hopes. Darren O'Day, though, sounds like it may take a little while longer for him. He only pitched one time in spring training as well, dealing with a forearm issue, and both of those guys open the season on the injured list where they're joined by Mike fulton who's going to try to ramp things up and get himself back before April is over. And then, of course, Kevin Gosman, I think, is on more of an expedited track than any of the other guys involved. He could actually end up making a start within the next week if things go according to plan as far as Gosman is concerned. But not the best thing to have two of your more key relievers and two big-time contributors to your starting rotation sitting on the injured list to start the season. That puts the Braves in general. I know you used this phrase a little bit earlier, getting behind the eight ball. This was not how they had constructed their pitching staff, and they had to kind of scramble and make a couple of changes here. And I would imagine as you look at the entirety of the roster and the organization and the guys that are in AAA in particular, Dan Winkler, who you brought up earlier, Nick, and of course, Tuki Toussaint, who we've talked about a lot. I think these are guys that are going to be counted on because I can't imagine that it's going to be a long leash with some of the relievers. It's going to be, you're going to have to perform or we're going to have to get somebody in here who can and give other guys opportunities. And I think that there may be a bit of opportunity to be had And it could happen sooner than later, depending on how things play out for the Braves and who they feel gives them the best chance to win and putting as many of those guys on the 25-man roster. I think you're going to see that shuttle between Gwinnett and Atlanta, just like we saw last year. I don't know what's going to happen next year. It's going to be super interesting with the the DL or or injured list changing from the 10 days. That's going to be interesting. But right now they can manipulate the roster a little bit. You're going to see guys up and down. Tukey Dusant said AAA right now. That doesn't mean Tuki Dusant's ever going to make it an appearance in Gwinnett to start the year. Yeah, um, He could be up in the big leagues the entire year. You never know. I, I think that the, the leashes are going to be short. I think you're right. You have to perform. You can't do what the Braves did yesterday and expect to stay on the roster. So I know it's just one day, but it, it was frustrating because it, it almost was like deja vu from last year. I, I think that you, you're going to see multiple guys get opportunities so it was good to see Wes Parsons make the opening day roster, pitch well uh, right out of the gate, get a third of an inning in, and, and get his strikeout. But these guys are all going to be big pieces of the puzzle. And like I said, you're going to see different guys in different opportunities and different roles. I always go back to Tuki Dusant. I think that he could start, absolutely. And I thought he was going to be on that opening day roster as a starting pitcher. Yep. But that's not the case. But he can fill a bullpen role. Max Free can fill a bullpen role. So I think you're going to see guys just bouncing around uh, between Gwinnett and Atlanta and also from the rotation to the bullpen as well. Yeah, the Braves have a lot of interchangeable pieces when it comes to that and a lot of talented arms and finding roles for these guys, especially if you're talking about bringing your best, you know, having your best arms available to you night in, night out. The Braves have some great arms and how they use them, how they employ them and what role they're going to be in is going to be something that I think, like you said, could be a fluid situation each and every year. As far as what the Braves have coming up, they will have the weekend in Philadelphia. Saturday is Bryce Wilson on the mound. Sunday will be Kyle Wright for Sunday Night Baseball. That will be exciting for him. Then the Braves will come home. They'll host the Chicago Cubs as they open up SunTrust Park on Monday. That's a 721st pitch as the Braves will have their home opener. And obviously they'd like to bring a win or two home from Philadelphia as they face a Cubs team that should be right in the thick of the National League Central race this year as well. But that's what is on tap for the Braves heading into the next five or so days. And probably by the time you've listened to this podcast, a lot of those games may be in the books. So we'll bring you a new one on Friday and let you know exactly how all that played out because we don't have a time machine. 
be that as it may, a lot of other things <laughs> happening around the big leagues. Obviously, opening day is exciting from coast to coast. You got all 30 teams in action. I picked a couple of games or a handful of games, actually, from a super busy opening day where we saw all kinds of stuff going on. And uh, one of them that is going to pique our interest all year long, I think, especially since it's in the National League East, is what's going on with Washington and New York in the NL East race. Mets beat the Nats yesterday by a 2-0 score as Jacob deGrom, imagine that, outdueled Max Scherzer. deGrom just picking up right where he left off. Six scoreless, 10 strikeouts from the Cy Young Award winner. I know we're not going to do a whole prediction show or whatnot, but I think Jacob deGrom could win another Cy Young Award this year. What do you think? Uh, I think that he is the favorite. Yeah. He's at least my favorite. And the guy he pitched uh, against he, is pretty good, too. Me, Max Scherzer is is elite. But I, I, I just, I don't know. There's something about DeGrom that it's nobody's in this category, in my opinion. It's crazy the way he's able to command an upper 90s fastball. He's able to throw a nasty slider, his changeup. He's so good and so refined that it's like, I don't know. It's, it's just he's on a different level. When I look at Scherzer, Scherzer is, is dominant, no doubt about it. Um, but I, I've seen Scherzer back up sliders a little bit more than DeGrom. I've seen him miss spots with his fastball a little bit more than a Grom. That's my difference maker there. But I said this yesterday. It, I would pay money to watch those two guys duel it out. And I would pay big money for it. So to see that happen on opening day, I think was really special. And you knew you were going to get a close game. When you looked at Max Scherzer in that game, opening day, Scherzer went 109 pitches and went seven and two-thirds innings. How crazy is that? You don't see guys go over 100 pitches much on opening day. Yeah, uh, Degrom was under 100, and he went six innings. But sure, sure, you can't really get Scherzer out the mound, and that, and that to me is is just incredible. But I love both those guys, and I think that uh, that was just a real treat for opening day. Yeah, tremendous duel between two of the best pitchers in all of baseball, and two guys that will probably be at the last men standing when it comes to the Cy Young Award in the National League a little bit later this year. Elsewhere, not so much a Cy Young performance for Zach Greinke and the Diamondbacks as he was lit up. The Dodgers pounded Arizona 12-5 to and hit eight home runs to do so. That's an opening day record for Los Angeles. That's all of opening day, I guess, in the history of baseball. So franchise record, they tied that. And the old opening day home run record in baseball was six. That's quite a way to open a season right there with a barrage of home runs, eight in total for the Dodgers. The Dodgers are legit. They, they always are. The depth is just crazy. Corey Seager's back. He went deep. Um, Jack Peterson had a really good game. Yep. Uh, three for five with it, with four RBIs. So if they can get him going and are comfortable with him at the top of the lineup, uh, that's a big plus for them. Can you believe Justin Turner went over? You wouldn't have noticed in a 12-5 game, but I guess everything. I know, right? right. <laughs> but, but they had – I mean – the, the, when you look up and down that that lineup, it, it's just it's just incredible. The different guys step up in different ways. Uh, don't forget about AJ Pollock; he's a big sign over mm-hmm. there this offseason. Cody Bellinger was hitting six, so when Cody Bellinger can hit six, it, uh, you know that that lineup's deep. Um, th- this Dodgers team not going to surprise anybody. They're going to be where they are every single year. The the pitching is always going to be uh, questioned, especially since Kershaw is. Uh, seems to be hurt all the time. So then you're going to have to guy, have guys pick up the pieces for him. But they have so much depth. It's The Dodgers are what they are. They're a really good team. Over the course of 162, they know how to do it right. They rest the right guys at the right times. And they're going to be there at the end. 
they're always going to be there because, like you said, that depth is there, and that's exactly what they showed off on opening day. Uh, Jack Peterson had two home runs. Kike Hernandez had two home runs as well. So those are not necessarily the big names when you think of the Dodgers because you might think of Bellinger or Seager or Turner, some of these other guys that you expect to kind of drive the offense if they're healthy and they're producing, but not the case on opening day. Everybody was pretty much chipping in, and it was a big-time win for the Dodgers over the Diamondbacks, who I think may have a pretty long summer ahead for them in the desert. Luke Voigt, meanwhile, Yes, Luke Voigt powered the Yankees to a 7-2 win over the Orioles. I don't think there's too much of a question about the matchup between these two teams and who was favored coming in, but Luke Voigt with some serious power a year ago, 14 home runs in his 39 games, and he's just one of the many, many sluggers, some with much bigger names and longer resumes. But a lot of folks are wondering if the Yankees could hit 300 home runs this year. They hit 267 a year ago. Do you think it's possible? that the Yankees could become the first team in baseball history to hit 300 home runs in a season? I think we could see that. Um, when, when you look at it, you're looking at, what, 36 home runs to get from last year's total to get to 300, and it seems like it's a big deal. But when you're adding Luke Voigt, who you said 14 home runs, you could pencil him in for at least 10 more than that. So there's 10 right there. Greg Bird's healthy. You could pencil him in for 15 to 20. I think Judge can increase his home run total from last year. Gary Sanchez can increase his. So, yeah, absolutely, it's a possibility. And I watched the first inning of that game right out of the gate. Aaron Judge, they had the shift on him. He hits a ground ball at 109 miles an hour, beats the shift to right to the right side. Yep. Next hitter, Stanton, the shift again. He hits one 121 miles an hour, line drive to right field. And then Voigt takes a slider deep to center at like 113 miles per hour off the bat. And when, when you're looking at hard-hit balls with stat cast, it's like 98 and above, I think is what it is, considered a, a, you have to have it 98 and above to get a barrel. Yeah, Those numbers I just threw out there are incredible. And you're going to see that the entire season. And that's not even including Andujar, Gary Sanchez, Greg Bird, and Glaber Torres is hitting eighth, and Tulowitzki's hitting ninth. Yep, that's crazy. So, I don't know. I don't know what you do with that lineup. Well, let me throw out a few stats to you about the 300 home runs that the Yankees could hit conceivably. A lot of people look at this and they see that. The Yankees hit last year 267 home runs, so they were 33 away from that 300 mark, right? They only had one 30 home run hitter last year. That was Giancarlo Stanton. He hit 38. Aaron Judge hit 27. The Yankees had four players hit 27 home runs. Miguel Andujar, Didi Gregorius, Aaron Hicks all did that. 24 from Torres. And then no one else had over 20. So if you think about that and you start to look at it, you're like, oh, well, there's not really a guy in the middle of the order last year anyway that hit 40-plus home runs. But they've certainly got a couple of guys that could do it. I mean, Judge has shown it. Stanton has shown it. These are two guys that could hit 50. Yeah, if they want to do it. And then you've got Sanchez, I think, is capable of hitting 35 or more. So if you start doing some simple math and everybody has a good year, and again, this is total conjecture, but – It's a scary, scary lineup, and I think 300 home runs is certainly within reach for this Yankees team. One more game on yesterday's slate or on the opening day slate, and that would be Justin Verlander, 11th opening day start. He was on the mound for Houston as the Astros beat the Rays by a 5-1 score. He was absolutely dominant yet again as Verlander has really, he shows no signs of slowing down. In fact, he may be better now than at any time he's ever been in his career. He's also the recipient of a contract extension worth 
uh, middle 60s as far as millions of dollars for him. So he's got to be feeling pretty good about where he is over the next few years because I, this is a guy that could, you know, darn near into his early 40s if he wants to, and I think that's exactly what he wants to do. You know he wants to do that. He, he's a guy that – you're right. It, it almost reminds me of Nolan Ryan, a guy that could pitch forever and pitch with power forever. He just continues to defy the odds, in my opinion, and to get that extension um, added on to 2020 and 2021. Yeah, it's a two-year extension. For yeah. two, years. two years. So that's well-deserving. You don't give a guy $33 million a year at the age that he's at. I mean, that puts him, I think, at, what, 39 is where he finishes that contract at, somewhere in there. Uh, 38 to 39, you don't give that kind of money to a guy at that age if you don't know for a fact they can perform at a high level. And he's going to. He just never slows down. It's it's crazy how good he is. And uh, do you expect him to go seven innings and, and punch out 10 every day or every five days and give up maybe one run? That's what I expect. Yeah. So, they're getting their money's worth for sure. No doubt. Yeah. Two-year contract extension worth $66 million, so 33 a year. Nine punch-outs over seven innings of one-run ball for him to win on opening day. Again, his 11th career opening day start. And just going back and looking, I mean, Justin Verlander, 290 strikeouts in 2018. That's a career high for him, and that was in his age 35 season. He's in his age 36 season uh, here with the Astros this year. Maybe the best year of his entire career. You can go back and look at his 24 and five season that he had back in 2011 uh, with the Detroit Tigers, where he was so good for so long. It's absolutely amazing to see what this guy does every fifth day. And it was a couple of years ago. I think folks were maybe looking, wondering if Justin Verlander really had a lot left in the tank uh, between 2014 and even maybe into 2017. He was still striking out some guys, but not at quite the same rate. But it's almost like he's found another gear over the last couple of years, and especially like a, a new lease on life, ending up with the Houston Astros, helped them win the World Series in 2017, helped get them back into October in 2018. And when you're just, I think you close your eyes and you just picture the exact kind of pitcher that you'd want to have on the mound in a game that's important for you, I think Justin Verlander would have to spring to mind pretty quickly for a lot of folks. For me, I want him out there as much as I can get him out there. And you look at where baseball is going as far as, Guys going five innings, maybe six innings. Uh, we talk about Max Scherzer. He's a guy that's going to go over 200 innings every year. Verlander is the same kind of guy. He's going out there, and he wants to perform at the highest level every five days. He doesn't want days off. He wants to go compete. I don't know. It's it, You're right. It's like he found a new gear. When I'm just looking at his, his fastball averages uh, from 2013 to 2015. He was at 93.3 in 13. In 14, he was 92.3. In 15, he was 92.8. Last year, he was 94.5 on his fastball. But here's the evolution of Justin Verlander. He typically threw about 55 to 60% fastballs. Now, we saw in his first start, has he changed? And he threw 42% fastballs yesterday. Is that where Verlander's going now? Is he going to switch change it change it up a little bit and continue to evolve because if he does that then all of a sudden he's a he's a even more complete pitcher so um and that's that's what whenever i see these guys lasting into their 40s and stuff velocity's important velocity's going to go down at some at some point when they evolve as a pitcher and what verlander showed in game one of the season is that 
he's continuing to evolve. And that's just great to see. You understand how the game's going as far as not throwing as many fastballs. That's where he's turning to, apparently. So we'll see how this thing plays out. But I'm, I don't know. I, I just love watching this guy grind and pitch every five days. I just, it's just fun. You don't see that that guy that's pitching into his late thirties uh, at that type of level too often. I know Scherzer's going to be one of those guys, but I'm I'm thinking when I look at pitchers nowadays, I'm looking at thirty five, and all of a sudden it's like okay, they're just fading off. These type of guys, Verlander, Scherzer, are not fading off. So it's I think it's good for baseball, but it's also good for the young guys too to have those type of influences as well. If, if you play on a team that Verlander's on or Scherzer's on, how much can you learn about being a complete pitcher, evolving and grinding every five days? I, I just think it's invaluable. No doubt about it. Justin Verlander, one of the best in baseball and really, again, has kind of either reinvigorated or reinvented himself, depending on how you want to look at it. And looks poised to help the Houston Astros do exactly what they've been doing of late, and that's make a run into October. And they certainly look good on opening day, as did Verlander. So that's what is happening around the big leagues, at least in a handful of the games that happened on opening day. It was a busy slate. A lot of things were going on. Don't want to just spend all of our time breaking down each and every game because that would get a little laborious over the course of a 162-game <laughs> season for 30 teams. But those are a few highlights that stood out to me. As far as what's going on for the Braves, again, they will finish up their weekend series in Philadelphia off on Friday. Bryce Wilson will head to the mound on Saturday. And then it will be a Sunday night baseball game. Braves and Phillies. Kyle Wright on the mound for Atlanta before the Braves come home. Open up SunTrust Park for 2019 with a series against the Chicago Cubs. Nick looking forward to that most certainly. Just to see the Braves put on those home whites and get back out in front of the home crowd and kind of enjoy that opening day pomp and circumstance in their own backyard this time. You know, opening day is always fun. And I think it's more fun when you, when you open up at home. But for us, we get two opening days. Um, and the, the Braves players do too, being opening up on the road. But the excitement around this ball club this year, I can't wait to be at SunTrust Park on Monday. Some people are, are frustrated with what happened in the offseason, but there's so much uh, positivity around the organization and how good they feel uh, that this team can be and what they showed last year, that when you go to that ballpark, the energy is, is going to be incredible. Obviously, the players have to perform. But coming back home – the battery, SunTrust Park, the club that they have, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, there's a lot to be excited about for sure. Braves may not be a finished product in terms of that 25-man roster. They may not have done all the shopping in the winter that some other teams did, like the Phillies, who certainly put their money out there and certainly have built a very tough lineup, and the Braves found that out firsthand on Thursday. But there's a lot of baseball left to be played, a lot of moves left to be made across all of the 30 teams, not just the Braves, but you know, getting off on the right foot this season may not have happened in game one, but doesn't mean you can't win as many series as possible. And I'm sure that's what the Braves are, will be looking to do as they continue the trip and wrap up that trip in Philadelphia and then head home and open up SunTrust Park with a series again against the Chicago Cubs of the National League Central. So that's pretty much everything that we had in store for you on this episode of From the Diamond. If you like what you heard, though, I invite you to subscribe. iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Feel free to tell a friend. We appreciate all the likes and the shares on social media at from the diamond underscore on Twitter at Grant McCauley is where you can find me and Nick Green is at Nick Green 20. And if you do subscribe, please leave us a rating and a review. All of those, of course, are appreciated. And again, all the likes and shares and telling a friend will make it go a long way as well because we enjoy bringing you this baseball talk each and every week. Nick, 
With that said, certainly enjoyed myself this week and look forward to having a full week's worth of baseball to talk about when we reconvene on this coming up Friday. I'm excited. I think everybody should be in to see what happens over the next week. Don't know what the roster is going to look like. I think it's going to change a little bit, but there's reason for optimism, and I think we, we should all be thrilled with with how this club's going to turn out and, and what they're going to do this season. Well, we'll go along for the ride, and we're happy to have you along for the ride here on From the Diamond. For Nick Green, I'm Grant McCauley. We will catch you next week. So long, everyone. you